Take your Bibles and open them to Genesis chapter 1. Trying to get a count of how many of our children are, are here. I see a few. I'm going to be addressing the children, but any time we open God's Word, it is for each one of us. Um, but children, as, as you open the Scriptures, and actually as you live your life and continue to grow, you will seek the answers to four basic questions. And as I go through these, see what answers come to your mind. Where do you come from? Right? These are worldview questions. Okay, you say, well, my mom and my dad, sure. But is there another origin, um, and do, do you live someplace forever? Secondly, who am I? So you have the question of origins, where do I come from, and the question of significance, who are you? And you might know your name and your birthday and your family's names, uh, but is there more to that? Another question that I think we start to have to grapple with is, why is the world in such a mess? Right? There's wars, there's greed, there's evil. And, and the answer to that question is going to help you understand, again, your purpose in this life. And then fourth, really, is there hope? Is there a future? Will you live somewhere forever? And that that is the question of purpose and destiny. And you are walking your story right now. You had a birthday. Some of you celebrate your birthday this month, September birthdays. I see it pop up on our planning center calendars. And, but there's also going to be another time where you'll die. Everybody has died. Um, that's, it's, uh, Hebrews says, as it is appointed unto mankind wants to die. And you don't really give that much thought as a child without having a little bit of fear because it seems so far off into the future. But I've had you open up to Genesis 1.1. I want you to to look down at the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. Everything. He created palm trees and mountains, and probably my favorite animal when I was a little boy uh, was a koala bear, and I had a big stuffed koala bear that had little sharp claws, and I ended up scratching my sisters with those claws, and my dad uh, had a surgical removal in the dining room where he took a pair of scissors, and he started clipping the claws off of my favorite stuffed animal, and my dad was making these sad koala bear cry sounds, and, and there goes, you know, and some of you have favorite animals. Do you know God created all things? And it says this repeatedly, when he looked around and saw his creation, it was good. It was very good. It was very good, all of his creation. And then look at verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness. See, the animals do not image God. They reflect his creative power. They reflect his glory. But there's something about you as a young boy and a young girl that images God, your creator. Humans were created by the direct act of God. He entered into the creation personally. He took 
a small lump of clay, right, the dust of the ground, and he formed man personally. He didn't do that with any of the other creation. Genesis answers these four basic questions. Where do you come from? Well, God created you. He formed you. He gave you life. He made you a boy or a girl for his own glory, and he doesn't make mistakes. He made you for praise. He designed you to know him. It also answers the question, who am I? The question of significance. You have value. You have more value than the the brown little squirrels jumping around my backyard because you image God. You are made in his image, and you are his child. It's interesting, uh, as you get into chapter 3, you're also going to be able to answer this question, why is the world in such a mess? You have chapter 1 is about creation, chapter 2 is about creation, chapter 3, all of a sudden you are introduced to, it seems, one of God's creation, and it's the serpent. A snake enters the garden, and he's not given any introduction, he's just there. But this creature is in rebellion to God. Do you remember what he did? Okay, God, God put two trees in the garden, and he put limits on the one, and it is to show that God is God, that he has authority, and that man and the man and the woman had a choice. And they can eat from any tree of the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here comes this serpent, this deceiver, And he starts to dialogue with Eve, and he says, has God really said? And of course, what is he doing? Through deception, he is is causing Eve to question God's character. And that's what all lies do, and the world tells us lies, and it gets us to question the goodness of God. See, if God really loved you, Satan is saying, the serpent is saying, he would let you eat that. He just, he's keeping something from you. He doesn't want you to know this about him. We're familiar with his lies too, aren't we? And then, you know the story, she ate and Adam ate. Sin not only spoiled the human relationships, sin also spoiled the closeness between God. You know that Every civilization has a story that that carries this kernel of truth, that there is, let me read to you, Revelation 12, 9, the great dragon, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. See, that's who the serpent is. He's a great dragon. We have stories today that tell of similar stories. Chronicles of Narnia, the Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. You have these, this battle going on between spiritual forces, one light and one dark. In Revelation 20, John says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. You see, what ancient civilizations celebrated as they told of what they thought was a myth is also the hope of a divine champion, a hero. All of our stories 
have those heroes. Do you know the Bible actually puts forward a hero? Pastor Sean already mentioned him this morning. His name is Jesus. And he is promised in the same chapter. Do you ever just get weary of doing wrong? You ever just get tired? Tired of sinning? Tired of failing? Tired of being disappointed? Do you know one of the, one of the beautiful parts of Scripture is you have this perfect creation in chapter 1 and 2, and in chapter 3 you have the man and the woman sinning. And in that very same chapter that man and woman fall... There's a promise. And the promise is actually going from, they say, the seed of the woman or a descendant of the woman, which is a beautiful picture because the woman who was deceived and ate of the fruit will now have a human boy, a descendant, who becomes the champion that will defeat the serpent. And that hope is found in Genesis 3.15. Let me just read that. I will put enmity, God is talking to the serpent, and I will put enmity, I will put tension, I will put division between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Here here really is the gospel. And he, this male descendant, will crush your head. That's a death blow. And you will strike his heel. So the picture being put forward is that of a wounded champion. Chronicles of Narnia pictures that when Aslan is killed, right? He looks like he's been defeated, and all of a sudden, he rises again. Listen to 1 John 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God, that's Jesus, appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You know that uh, Paul compares Jesus to Adam. He calls him the last Adam. And what's beautiful in this is that the first Adam, the one we know, Adam and Eve, needed the last Adam. And that last Adam comes, and listen to what it says in Romans 5.12, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Do you know that? That you are a sinner because of Adam, but also because of your own choices. And sinners face a death sentence. Romans 6.23. Let me see how many of you can, children, say this with me. For the wages, do you know this? The wages of sin is death. If you were trying to make money and you started going around the neighborhood and knocking on doors and you offered to cut someone's grass, you get a wage for that. You get a payment. If you cut the person's grass, you didn't do it for free. There was an agreement. And you get a payment. There is a wage that you are given for doing something. Do you know what you get for being a sinner? You get a payment. You get a wage. And the wage of sin is it's death. And that starts to answer some of your, your bigger worldview questions. But, but then the, the verse doesn't stop there. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is eternal life instead of death, life. How do I get that? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Many of you know this verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave. There's that gift again. And that gift is a person. It is His Son. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him, that's it. That's the gift. Faith in this person, faith in this champion deliverer, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, no death, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, See, God is not this big bully trying to get you and to crush you. No, instead, He sort of unfolded a rescue plan, and He sent His own Son so that you could be saved. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Most of you, like me, had only ever known Christianity. I was born in a home that had a Christian mom and dad, And I remember them, it felt like, forced me to go to church every Sunday and every Wednesday. And I remember sitting there and hearing the stories of the Bible and not really understanding it. I remember making a profession of faith at age five and at age seven and at age 13, just to make sure that I was saved. And at age 13, I remember being baptized in an outdoor swimming pool in South Florida in one of those white robes, and I remember almost floating out, you know, to meet the man who baptized me. But do you know what? I was not saved. I was not born again. And I remember then choosing a very hard and rebellious path in my teens and early 20s. And I remember when we were moving from South Florida up to North Carolina, my mom turned around and she looked at me and I, we had not been going to church. I had not been living for the Lord. It's not that I doubted God. I just didn't think it was worth it. And I remember her turning around and saying, uh, son, as long as you live with us, we're gonna, you're going to start going to church again. How many of you thought that was good news to me? I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to sit around all those hypocrites. I didn't want to waste my time. But my mom held me to that as long as I got free rent, I can go to church. And I remember going to sleep on a Sunday morning in a small Baptist church called Crab Creek Baptist Church. I remember the hymns were extremely boring, and I remember going to sleep and waking up at about two minutes to noon to make sure that the preacher would end on time. And you know what he told me? He told me the good news. I don't remember what he preached, but I remember him telling me that God loved me. I was not seeking God that morning. I remember waking up even a little bit irritated and angry that I was in a church building. He didn't tell me any funny stories. He didn't try to manipulate my emotions. He didn't try to scare me. He simply told me the gospel I had heard my entire life, that God loves me, that he sent his son to die in my place. See, someone has to pay for sin. There's a wage. And either I pay for it or Jesus pays for it. And I remember those simple good news truths about Jesus Christ and his love for me and his dying in my place for my sin and him rising again bodily on the third day. I don't even remember putting all that together. All I heard was God loves me 
and he would save me. And I remember in the, in the old, you know, old Western North Carolina Baptist Church, there was always an invitation, but I didn't go forward. I remember standing there and just leaning on a chair, and I believed. And God saved me. And the joy of having my sin forgiven was very emotional for me that day. I had just turned 21 years old the month before. I had all these great plans of turning 21 and being able to legally do bad things now. And yet there I sat, born again. I remember going out and the sky seemed bluer and the clouds seemed whiter and and puffier. And you know what happened in that moment of transformation? The Bible just made sense. There, there were, there were st- there's still places I do not understand. But what I mean is I just believed it. And all those things I had questions about, I had hope. You say, well, how are you saved? That's a mystery. Because <laughs> I wasn't seeking for God. And it wasn't any specific illustration. I just knew that morning that God loved me and paid the price for my sin. And I received it as a gift. How do you receive a gift? I mean, if I were to call one of you up this morning and say I had a $20 bill in my pocket, how do you receive a gift? You simply take it, right? Do you know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Listen to what Jesus said. Truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Do you have that assurance this morning, that you have passed from death to life? Because on the fourth question, is there any hope? Is there a future? And the answer is yes. And your soul must live somewhere forever. Do you know that in Jesus Christ, you pass from death into life simply by receiving the gift? And the hope that we have is that there is an eternal world. We're actually moving from garden, the Garden of Eden, to a new garden city in Revelation. From garden to garden. And the beautiful thing about heaven and the new earth is that it won't be like this one. There won't be any disappointment. There won't be any death. Matter of fact, the former pains that we have will be removed. In 2 Peter 3, it says this, but according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So where do you come from? God created you. God gave you life and breath and a soul that will live somewhere forever. Who are you? You are of great importance, for you are an image bearer of the one true God. You are His child. Why is the world in such a mess? Because of sin, because of rebellion, because of the transgression of God's law, because we live against God. But there's hope because He sent Jesus Christ to die for sin, and He is making all things new. This morning, we are going to observe the Lord's Supper together, and we ask that our children join us for the first Sunday of every month so that they can see this picture. But 
it can, it can actually be a little confusing because what we bring out, we have in these fancy dishes, and then most of our children do not observe the Lord's Supper. They're simply watching their parents do this. But I want to remind you that it was Jesus himself who introduced this. And he was sitting at a normal meal. And when it came time to introduce what he was about to do on the cross for you, he took bread. And now we have these like fancy machine cut wafer breads. But what Jesus would have done is he would have pulled the bread off and he would have broken it. And what he was telling you was a good news picture that he was about to be hung on a cross and his body, like that bread, was going to be broken. And in that brokenness, his broken body would give life. And it really goes back to the the bread of life discourse in John chapter 6, that unless you eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, you do not have life. What does he mean by that? Well, that's the picture we show this morning, a picture of his broken body being consumed, internalized, individualized, because in it we have life. And it says in the same way he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So what we do this morning with a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice is we are saying to one another, there is hope. There is life in Jesus Christ. As we lift the, the, the bread to our mouth, we are saying our only hope in this life is Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And when we take the cup, we're supposed to taste it. We're supposed to experience it. And what we are proclaiming is the Lord's death provides life. And so whether you're joining us in this or not, when you see this happen, I want you to hear the gospel. It's a picture of the good news of what Jesus Christ did for us. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. So we're about to do this together. If you are our guest, we welcome you. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have been baptized as a believer, we invite you uh, to celebrate this with us. You don't have to be a member of Highlands Baptist Church. Uh, We would invite you to proclaim this good news message with us this morning. We're going to do this a little bit differently. Um, We are going to sing a verse of Behold the Lamb, and then I will make a few remarks Then we will distribute the bread, and then we will sing verse 2, then we will eat. Then we will distribute the cup, sing verse 3, and then we will drink, and then I will close in prayer, and then we will sing the fourth stanza. So it's really designed to, to highlight the meaning of the bread and the juice as we proclaim the gospel together. Young person. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, don't let today slip by without talking to your mom or dad or talking to someone here about whether or not you have been born again, whether or not your sins are forgiven, whether or not you have by faith believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior 
and the champion that the New Testament proclaims. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. You are our Savior, and you are good. We thank you that the gospel does not come with words of wisdom that human beings can manufacture, but it is by the demonstration and power of your Holy Spirit opening the eyes of our heart to see your beauty and your glory, the good news that you love us, each of us, and that you sent your Son as a gift to be received by simple faith. Lord, I pray that each person, but especially our young men and women, our boys and girls, would know the joy of placing their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would know the joy of serving Him as their King, that they would know by experience the sufficiency of Your grace that You do wash us white as snow, and You do forgive us. Lord, thank You that even though the wages of our sin was the penalty of death, Your free gift is Your Son who died in our place and for our sin. Lord, help us to worship You now as we eat the bread and drink the juice as we proclaim the gospel to one another. Work in our heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.